Welcome to The Grap Up, your monthly blast of cold takes on the world of professional wrestling. Available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I am the intrepid traveller Mark Robinson. And with me to bring you the greatest tandem since the heartthrobs, he is the editor over at the Wrestling Observer. He is Brian Rose. Brian, it is good to speak to you again. How are you doing? I am doing good, and man, we have a lot to talk about. The wrestling world has pretty much changed in the last month. Never a dull moment, is it? Never a dull moment. This is like the biggest change since like 1984, Mm -hmm. 83, 82. It's a monumental month. A lot happened, to say the least. uh, I'm trying to remember where I was at the time, because um, I remember... Actually, I think I was just doing like the cooking at the time, so... um, I haven't done the the link to the car show for the last two weeks, and I remember it was the first week that I didn't record, and I think I was like cooking or washing at the time, uh, and I took the week off because everything with my cat at the moment. But I just saw like a message in the link to the cast group chat with them just going, "What the fuck? Vince is retired. Like, what the fuck? Well, wh- just just a tweet. He has retired." It's the biggest news in wrestling ever, and he just tweeted it out. What the fuck do we do? Where do we go from here? And uh, I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, Well, I'm just going to put my phone down because I imagine Twitter is just going to be just more of a hellscape than it usually is for the next uh, 48 (laughs) hours or so. But uh, yeah, I guess from kind of your side, um, from being, you know, like in the Wrestling Observer world and whatnot, like how has the last two weeks been? Uh, A lot of questions about whether or not, you know, like, yeah, Vince McMahon's retired. He, he's not the shows anymore. But I, I always get this feeling, like, in the back of my head, like, what, what the hell is he going to do now? Like, what is he doing? Because he has spent the last 40 years uh, in, in charge of that company and has, especially in recent years, has micromanaged that project to a ridiculous degree. And now he doesn't have that anymore. And... What exactly do you do when you're 77 or whatever? And the thing you've been working on for the last 40 years, it's just gone and, and you're not in charge anymore. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. It's, 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 it's crazy. I never thought it would happen and it actually happened. So. Well, considering um, the kind of suspected reasons for his retirement... Uh, one could only hope that either he'll spend the rest of his years in jail or he'll just go find an island somewhere and leave us all alone. Um, I want to quickly, before we, we jump all into the, the kind of serious stuff, um, because again, there is a lot to talk about, uh, I wanted to get some quick thoughts because uh, Live Alive came out uh, a couple of weeks ago and um, you know I like to start off this this show by asking you Brian about what you've been playing and I'd have to imagine you being the uh, the JRP king that I know that you are that this would have been up there with the games that you'd be playing this year and I myself have been playing quite a bit of Live Alive so I'm curious to know what you think of it. I have not played as much as you most likely. I've cleared one chapter and it was uh, set in uh, China that that chapter i cleared that chapter and that was really good um i'm now in the middle of the space one with cube so i'm going through that one and that's pretty much it that's all i've played so far because i've been busy and yesterday i spent my free time trying to get uh emulator emulators working on uh, steam deck i didn't have time for live live so i didn't play that uh but so far, it's, it's pretty fun. It's definitely a different take on the GRPG formula, you know, set in different chapters and everything. And 
very unique and different. The voice acting, I'm kind of like in the middle of. I kind of don't want voice acting in, in 2D RPGs, but it's okay. The graphics are wonderful. I mean, every time I look at the graphics, it's it's like that 2D HD kind of look is, is incredible. And I know Octopath Traveler innovated that and We'll see that later with that the Dragon Warrior Dragon Quest 3 uh, remake where that comes out. So yeah, um, I don't have like too many early thoughts, but I I just like playing it. The the there's a lot of combat in the last part of that Chinese chapter. I just like kind of it kind of got a little bit repetitive by the end. So I'm hoping like other chapters aren't so heavy like that towards the end of each chapter, but. I mean, so far I, I've given, I'm giving it a thumbs up, even though I don't have like too much experience to accurately give it anything. But I, it's been positive so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm about three and a half chapters through now, and certainly each chapter does have its own like pace and yeah. um, the the kind of like the amount of combat that you do definitely does vary between them. So yeah, uh, I think it's fair to say one chapter doesn't give you the kind of full flavor of what that game is like. But you know, for me, not being the um, the kind of high man on like 90s JRPGs, I have come into it with an open mind and I'm very much enjoying it. And I think that again, as you mentioned, like the the 2.5 style, the visual style is it is unbelievable. Um, I've been taking screenshots aplenty because um, there's just so many kind of little moments that. The fusion of the 2D and the 3D and how it how those kind of combine, yeah, um, yeah just it looks incredible and it sounds incredible as well. Like the, yeah, the score the music is really good. has blown me away. So, um, but that is not what we're here to talk about. I guess we will kind of continue talking about Vince McMahon, his retirement, and what the hell this company looks like going forward. Um, so, you know, two weeks ago, Vince announced that he was retiring at the age of 77. Um, he, you know, there was the kind of external PR message that went out there. Then there was the internal comms message and it was all kind of light and breezy and obviously didn't touch on certain, uh, allegations and reports that have been going around for the last month or so. And, uh, the kind of like the ongoing rumor is that there, there are more pieces to come and they are, uh, <laughs> worse, shall we say in terms of, um, the kind of contents and the revelations that would be within them. Those haven't come out at this time. I kind of thought that they may have by now, but um, I don't know. I feel like, uh, it, for me at least, the news is just taken up with Alex Jones and everything going on with that, um, which I've greatly been in. I've greatly been enjoying watching that man squirm. But that's yeah, a that, different uh, podcast. Yeah, the stuff yesterday where his lawyer or something accidentally sent a bunch of stuff <laughs> oh, towards uh, the. God. The other lawyer, uh, that's that's like oh. Law and Order level kind of stuff. Oh, <laughs> like, that, come on, that, man. I will just say for anyone, there's a great podcast called Knowledge Fight um, that basically have spent like the last five six years uh basically recapping every alex jones uh like uh podcast and show that he does and just kind of breaking down every re every time he lies why he lies and how he manipulates his audience uh well worth going out of your way to, to check out um there's a lot there to work with but yeah anyway um so yeah vince mcmahon is out and uh uncle paul triple h he's back back in the in in the house and 
he is now the 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 lead creative and uh it's kind of insane how we've come full circle from where we were uh like a year ago or uh, so i mean i guess in the end he won the power struggle because it was either gonna be him or bruce pritchard and they named and uh, what I, I i assumed when stephanie mcmahon was named ceo i was assumed triple h was going to be named head of creative and sure enough he was and yeah, it it is wild because it was only a couple of years ago where Triple H was, you know, he he had lost the quote unquote Wednesday Night Wars, and you could tell that Vince McMahon wasn't happy with that, and they completely switched NXT up, and it's it's not as good as it used to be. I mean, I'm kind of growing on that NXT 2.0 stuff, but I mean, it's it's not NXT 1.0. It's not even close. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's a quick turnaround because it seemed like both he and Stephanie McMahon were, were out of power. And then suddenly all this broke out and they were not. <laughs> they were back in and they were in, in, in power, along with Nick Khan, who's also co-CEO. So it's completely wild. And, you, you know, uh, We'll see if this sticks. I mean, who who knows what the future will bring? You know, when you think about Triple H, it's like he nearly died like a, a year ago due to all that heart issue stuff. And you know, taking on not not only taking on a head of creative, he's also been named the full time uh, head of talent relations. He took that over from Bruce Pritchard, who took it over after John Laurinaitis was basically out. I, I guess I don't think it's ever been formally confirmed but he's pretty much out um so yeah i mean that's a lot of work uh and i don't know how anybody can handle that you know it, under his condition i guess you can say yeah the one thing i was thinking because i know that's come up um in a number of different places this idea that hey you know this is a guy who now has a pacemaker who um did suffer from heart failure and did nearly die and like, do you want to put this amount of, like, stress and pressure? And they're all valid questions to, to ask, but I think that one... And now, obviously, I don't know the inner workings of uh, Triple H and what his kind of working and management style will be, but one would have to imagine that the way that Vince McMahon operated, uh, he is an on, on an island when it comes to operating that way. And I would have to imagine that whether Triple H wants to or not, he's going to have to delegate that work. And you'd have to imagine that um, aspects of the creative, whether it be like, you know, Raw on SmackDown go back to having their, their lead writers that handle most of that. And, and Triple H is just the kind of the sign-off person. Um, and certainly when it comes to like the talent relations, obviously he's going to be the head honcho, but you have to imagine he's going to have people around him to kind of handle and, and delegate a lot of that work. I think there's a scenario where um, even though Triple H has these responsibilities, he's doing a lot less work than Vince McMahon did, yeah. which is probably for the best for a number of reasons. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that uh, Paul is, is smart enough to understand this. And you know, I'm sure his body will tell him if he's taking on too many responsibilities. But I, I would imagine he's going into this full well knowing that and how to uh, kind of work around whatever limitations he may feel he has or doesn't have. Yeah, because, I, I mean, this is essentially the job he's been groomed to take for the last 10 years since he entered the, the employee 
kind of status in WWE. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with, if anything's drastically changing. I mean, we kind of saw that SummerSlam on a Raw. We saw more wrestling, uh, less of the stupid finishes. There was one stupid finish on Raw, but I, I mean, largely, it's a far more competent show than it was a couple of weeks ago. Because a couple of weeks ago, I mean, that stuff just... You can tell, I, you know, I got really tired of the Vince McMahon formula, and you can tell when Vince McMahon wrote something and when he didn't, and there's been more and more of that, you know, before he, he got, he resigned, pretty much, and uh, it was not a good product, and now we'll see what happens. Uh, there, there was a lot more wrestling on Raw, uh, a lot of wrestling on SummerSlam, uh, most of it was good. Um, so, so we'll kind of see where it goes. I, I don't know what kind of radical changes Triple H is going to make, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this company, as far as creative standpoint, how it looks in the coming months, especially with likely a draft coming up. I, I don't know when exactly that will happen, but uh, it's usually around early fall, so we'll, we'll see what changes Triple H makes. Yeah, I mean, like... People have been throwing roses at uh, some of the changes that have happened, um, whether it be the booking or the production. And, you know, certainly, yeah, they are welcome. But I do think that we're working from, like, the base level here. And anything yeah. past that, you know, is, is a net positive at this point. It's low praise, but it's 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 praise. It's, it's, it's improved. It absolutely is. Like, the, the product is far more watchable. Because I, you know, I... I'll bounce into WWE usually, you know, for the pay-per-views or if I hear that a segment or a match on Raw or SmackDown is good, though, you know, that's um, been rarer and rarer these days. But the thing that I always come back to when I watch the product is just that the the amount of camera cuts and the commentary, those two things combined, they usually make the products completely unbearable to watch, regardless of how good the match. Yeah, commentary has been better. It has, it has yeah, absolutely better. has, yeah. And, you know, I imagine that those commentators, when they heard that McMahon was resigning, <laughs> uh, they were probably cheering and celebrating harder than anyone else because yeah. God bless Michael Cole, he's had 25 years of that man screaming in his ear. Um, so yeah. if anyone was deserving of a break from that, it certainly is him. So, yeah, like the commentary certainly had, there has been a massive improvement. They sound like human beings again. There's yeah. uh, a lot of that kind of weird vernacular that McMahon is known for. There's been less of that. Less branding. The production's less, less branding. Less branding indeed. The, the, the production... I was going to get tired of hearing the new Vicious Viking Raiders every time they come out. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm hoping next year's WrestleMania won't be stupendous and it will just be uh, WrestleMania would be same. good. Same. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, like uh, the, the, the the camera cuts, for, for me, I think the biggest thing that is uh, I'm just completely against is the whole augmented reality, uh, like visual effects that they use. Um, some of them I can, like I'm fine with, like the one with Roman Reigns where he kind of goes into the pose. I'm fine with that. Um but like the fucking Matt Riddle with the fish and the birds coming out, <laughs> coming out of his slippers, I could do without I, that. 
I don't hate that, but I mean, if I don't see it ever again, I'll be fine. But I think that's like at the bottom of WWE's problems. I guess, but while we're here and we're trying to kind of fix everything, yeah. I'm, you know, scrapping everything and we're starting again. Yeah. Um, I guess we, we can jump into SummerSlam, though, and, um, and have a little chat about that. Because, yeah, there are the kind of two aspects of it. There is the fact that... Hey, it's SummerSlam. It is the biggest party of the summer, but it certainly does feel like it is a uh, a new dawning, a new horizon for this company, and um, a lot of eyes are going to be on the products. And we've seen that with the rating for the last two weeks. Certainly, Raw this Monday doing, I believe, it was like Huge a three point two, which is you know the biggest rating since like the start of the pandemic, basically, um, which is pretty significant. You know, like that really shows that people. It, well, A, it shows that people had completely zoned out of the products that McMahon had been uh, providing and presenting, um, and that people are willing to give this new kind of version of this company a shot, whether that's just because McMahon isn't in or because Triple H is in. You know, we can decide on that over time, but um, the simple fact is people are willing to give this a look, and we'll see over the following weeks, you know, if they stick around. Um, you know, I suppose, uh, I suppose we'll get to like raw from past monday but you know like raw was not a bad show i wouldn't say it was a great show by any means but again for grading on that curve um the fact that there was more of the emphasis on the wrestling emphasis on a couple of new characters to get them you know on the show uh things are pointing in a good direction um but yeah. I, you know i still think it's going to take some time yeah i mean raw on monday wasn't bad i think calling it good would be a stretch but it was a competent show, and that's the, that's the, been the uh, theme with these shows since uh, Vince McMahon resigned. It's that they've all been competent. I haven't seen anything stupid. For the most part, finishes have been clean, save for one or two finishes. But when they do those finishes, it's for a reason and not just because they don't want anybody to lose. But, you know, you know, with, with EO and Bianca Belair, they, they kind of had to do that for that reason. But, I mean, it's also about getting a, a stable over... And I think that we will have to see if that continues in the next month or I, I don't know. I, I, all I know is that with Vince McMahon gone and not micromanaging that show top to bottom, you know, we've always heard the stories of them tearing up shows and writing the shows even as the shows air sometimes. I think that era is pretty much gone. I think we'll see more of a, more of a cohesive direction whether that direction will be good or bad, who who knows? But um, I think Triple H in charge—I mean, it has to bring positive changes, no, no matter what ultimately happens with with, with this product. Because I, I mean, the end of the Vince McMahon era was really bad TV, and always feuds that I think lasted six months sometimes, and just the same matches over and over and over. You know, I, it, it, it was time for him to go, you know, regardless of all the stuff that ultimately drove him out of power, even though all that stuff should have driven him out of power. But, you know, as far as creative goes, I mean, it was it was time because he <laughs> there wasn't anything left there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it yeah. was time. So with SummerSlam, uh, I think one thing of note that. I haven't really seen anyone mention is that this was a kind of compact and a nice and tidy show with all of the fat trimmed off the sides. We had no uh, 
pre-show matches they you know still had the pre-show ramble which is still the most kind of irrelevant inconsequential part of any fucking pay-per-view the premium yeah. live event um but this show you know i i think we kind of came in under three hours or around about there and uh just it not was a, lot a of little bit longer than that uh, i think it reached three hours 30 minutes but i mean it wasn't four hours which is which is an improvement compared to the seven and eight hour shows they yeah. were doing at one point i will take this uh, we started with Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship, a rematch from their WrestleMania uh, match that was one of the better matches on over both nights of WrestleMania. And I came away thinking that this was uh, solid. I don't think it was as good as the Mania match. I think that the spectacle of Mania and the fact that it was Belair uh, chasing for the title and just the fact that... Um, it really kind of was like, okay, we, I'm, I'm ready f to move on from this and Bianca to do something else. And I will say that while this match may have not been as good as the Mania match, the overall package of the match itself and what happened afterwards, I actually think that, you know, like you couldn't ask for anything better in terms of ending this feud and then moving on to what like was going to happen next with these people. I think that was actually a masterstroke all around. Yeah, uh, this I I thought it was the second best match on <coughs> on the show. Um, I don't. It wasn't as good as the WrestleMania match. The WrestleMania match was very good, but uh, they they had a very good match here, and um, you know the the end with uh, Bailey and her new stable coming out, Io Shirai and uh, Io Sky, excuse me, and uh, Dakota Kai that. We'll see what happens with that. That's definitely moves that uh, Vince McMahon wouldn't have made because I was thinking that Eos guy was out the door and mm -hmm. Dakota Kai had been fired back Already in April. Was out the door. Yep. And so, I mean, that was kind of the first sign where it's like, okay, well, the talent direction has changed, definitely. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, the, the match itself was good. Um, probably the second best match of the night. I, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the one thing that um, I guess is, you know, hasn't gone as intended was the fact that Becky managed to separate her shoulder yeah. during the match, and she's going to be out for a few months now. And it's um, kind of like bad timing, because it, she pretty much turned babyface after that match and pretty much solidified that on Raw, saying, the man's back. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, that that's another positive direction because I did not like this heel Becky Lynch character where she had to fight the fans every week. It was No, really no, I, I, I do think that it was uh, more than time for us. You know, we had a year of it. Um, they yeah. tried it. I, you know, I certainly don't think it's any kind of disaster business-wise, no, like, say, I, she, the, she the Austin Hill turn. She was good at being a heel. It wasn't necessarily that. It was just that she had been gone... For like nine months before that, maybe more, due to uh, due to her pregnancy. Then she came back, and you know, like like you said, like the Austin heel turn in two thousand one. He, uh, she, uh, turned heel, and every week it was like a fight against the fans, and it was just a weird disconnect between what people wanted and what Vince McMahon wanted, which is you know good thing that that's done pretty much, and. Um, yeah, it, it was just time, and it made sense in the story because this was a year-long storyline between her and Bianca Belair, so it made all the sense in the world to change her back because that's what people want. 
And unfortunately, it's the shoulder surgery means that she'll probably be out for a few months, and that will that will kind of hamper things. But um, well, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's a, I don't think it's a total disaster in the fact that um, you know, like, hey, Bianca Belair is going to be the face, so she's yeah. got these three adversaries to to go against. So at least from the kind of hill face dynamics, hey, you know, you can work with that, yeah. and. Look, there's still people that you can bring into the fold in the meantime. Um, sure. You know, Asuka was there on, on Raw. Um, I mean, like, Alexa Bliss has been spinning her wheels since she came back and, and kind of ditched elements, semblances of the uh, the, the the spooky stuff isn't op- The spooky stuff is done, but they still want the doll because the doll sells a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's a, um, hey, it's a lot better than her doing spooky magic every week. It is, and, but I mean, I think she's even said herself that she doesn't really know what her character is at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, no, and... it, it's up in the air because it's yeah. like they don't want her to be like a, you know, the girl fiend or whatever. But they don't really want to get rid of a lot of all that. So somewhere in the middle, and it doesn't make any sense. But she's there. Yeah. So look. You know, there's an option they could do something with her to get her involved with this as well. But I think yeah. that with the, the Becky Lynch stuff, um, I, I do feel like it's a bit of a blessing in the disguise. Kind of similar to everything with uh, Cody Rhodes and what I was saying last month about him being out. Um, now, in fairness, at the time, you know, he was still being booked under the McMahon regime. Um, but with all of that said, uh, still being said, I think that, you know, his return, you would hope in time for the Rumble that kind of like just that works in terms of his return being that big you know kind Wrestle- of like what Triple H's was back in 2002 yeah. the Wrestlemania match if The Rock doesn't do it and I don't think he is I, I, I think it's just not realistic at this point I think it should be him and Roman at Wrestlemania yep. uh, that's yep. the match that makes sense and you know there, there's actual intrigue as to whether or not Cody will win or not because that's kind of the reason why he came back. That's what he said in his promo, his return promo, that he wanted to be WWE champion. So we'll see if he does that. I, th- I think that's probably the person to beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I, I do think it is the way to go. Um, Logan Paul defeated The Miz in 14 minutes, 15 seconds. Now, I have two things to say about this match. First of all, because I've not been watching Raw, I had no idea that Tommaso Ciampa had aligned with The Miz um, for reasons that have not been explained to me. Um, I had had to be re-reminded that they had actually dropped his first name and he's now just Ciampa. And second of all, I'd forgotten that they were attempting to make Logan Paul the babyface in this feud and that The Miz had turned him on him at WrestleMania. Um, now, with all of that said, God bless Logan Paul. That man put in a, uh, a, a an effort, a, a kind of, not a star-making performance, but certainly a performance that makes you think this guy, A, he gets it, and B, he wants it. And, uh, you know, the level of effort that he put into this, uh, you know, cannot be understated enough that he he's a phenomenal athlete. You know, him and, and Pat McAfee, uh, what they're able to do, considering their limited training, uh, is both a testament to both of them, but also a damning indictment to the, the performance center. <laughs> the fact that yeah. these guys, in two or three matches, can pull off this kind of stuff, you know? I mean, I look at Logan Paul, who can do all that stuff, then I look at Dominic Mysterio, and I'm not you know, I'm not one who, like, 
Barry's Dominic Mysterio all the time. I think he's fine. Well, if you don't, I will. So just saying. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he's fine. But you know, I looked at his performance, and then I look at Dominic Mysterio, who I don't know, still blows spots in some places, and you know, is generally okay, but nothing special. I mean, it's you like, would not think he was the son of Rey Mysterio. Yeah, Let's put it like that. I, I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Um, but Logan Paul looked great here. Uh, and, you know, you can say that's like because they practiced the match a lot, and you know, there's probably some truth to that. But I mean, he looked great enough to where I think if he has more matches uh, throughout the year, he could be he could probably be a contender for Rookie of the Year. And and you know, I'm not saying that lightly because there's so many great rookies this year between you know off the top of my head i can think of a hook a nick wayne a Braun breaker there's a lot of guys uh, this year who really broke out and really really became very good workers so mm. we'll, we'll see how that goes it's, it's a stacked list and, and, and it, most years where it's like there's nothing there's there's a lot of contenders this year for rookie of the year I am going to completely skip Bobby Lashley theory because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was I, nothing. I, I do want to kind of come back. I, I guess we've come back now to uh, to Dominic again. And uh, it was the Mysterios defeating the Judgment Day of Finn Balor and Damien Priest. Is the Judgment Day at this point possibly the worst stable in living memory between the complete like botching of how they got rid of Edge and brought in Finn and the fact that they keep losing? Like, there is no menacing presence to this stable uh, other than the fact that, um, you know, Rhea Ripley keeps, like, um, making cucks out of all... Not cucks, but, you know, making all the guys uh, just yeah. that, just kind of tremble at her feet, which they should, in fairness. She is terrifying um, in all the right ways. Um, just just, just a disaster of a stable, and they should yeah, just sack it off and move on. It's not retribution. Oh, God... Yeah, that's I, pretty much the bottom of the barrel in terms of stables because they brought them in and were they were immediately losers who signed up for the WWE for no reason and they lost a bunch. No, they, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Judgment Day are worse wow. because they the Judgment Day have have a combination of like Edge and Finn Balor and you know Damian Priest who was was kind of like hitting on, on a stride last year and Rhea Ripley you know like I think that collection of talent. Um, being wasted on this makes this far worse than Retribution, who, hey, you know, they had some great people involved with, like, uh, uh, Donovan Dijakovic. I can never pronounce his WWE name. Donovan Dijakovic. That's the one. Thank you, Brian. You're the professional around here. You know, they had some talent in that, and obviously Mustafa Ali as well. Uh, Yeah, Mustafa Ali is great. Yeah. But I I think the botching of the likes of of Edge and Finn Balor uh, is is way more of a damning indictment. Um, yeah. And this match was nothing at all, other than Edge came out for his 10th reincarnation of the Brood, yes. which I just... And you know what? what's ironic about that? I mean, there are reports out as to why they just suddenly wrote Edge out of Judgment Day, and the report at the time was like, well, he, he they were going to take Judgment Day into a spooky direction, and he didn't want to be a part of it. So look, look at SummerSlam where he comes out for his 45th version of The Brood because somebody created really likes The Brood. So he comes out and he, you know, all this demon-inspired stuff and he comes out the stairs, like, kind of similar to The Brood entrance. And it's like, okay, is he spooky now? And then yeah. on Raw the next, the, the next uh, time, like, he's out the there brood... and he's radar superstar. 
The Brood was a fucking six-month thing back in 1999. And like when six million viewers were watching, so it's kind of... It, people, a lot of people remember it. I guess. Whatever. Uh, Pat McAfee defeated Happy Corbin. Um, while I can sing the praises of Pat McAfee and his athleticism, this match did nothing for me. Yeah, um, he, he, it, I thought it was okay. Well, what can you do with Happy Corbin, you know? Yeah, he's, he's okay. He's not bad, but like... McAfee was just kind of really, I don't know, I can't think of the word, like, he botched a lot of stuff. No, it wasn't smooth. I, I, I do feel it like he it was a little bit more exposed. Yeah, he was yeah, a little bit more exposed, exposed in this match. Yeah. And he, he's had some good matches. I, I think his match with Adam Cole at TakeOver was, um, was really was good. was excellent. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I mean, Logan Paul looked a lot better than, than he did. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, do we come back to this ongoing conversation that the world seems to have about is The Miz actually a world-class worker or not? Um, and I don't have the energy to have that conversation, but, you know, I do think that... If you're asked the question, is The Miz a better worker than Baron Corbin, I will say yes to that. That, without question, is uh, is something I'm on board with. Anyway, the Usos defeated the Street Profits to retain the Undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship with Jeff Jarrett serving as the special guest referee who, for I think he's like 55, is in tremendous condition. I can only hope to be in that sort of condition in 20 years' time. Um, he was the star match, that weekend, too. I, we'll you to could that. make that argument. You certainly right. could. We will get to that. Um, this match didn't really do much for me. I, I don't think the Money in the Bank ladder match was... This all-time tag team match that some people was, had been—it was really good. It was—it was a very, very decent match. Yeah. If I had gone to the show and that was presented to me, I'd have no complaints. Yeah. Um, but I do think, and it was—it was Lanza on Voices of Wrestling was saying that there is this kind of thing with the Usos that uh, people that like the Usos are very, you know, kind of aware of the Bucks. And the fact that, you know, if the Bucks are having the greatest match of the week that week, then, hey, the Usos need to be having the greatest match as well. And uh, and look, the Usos can have those types of matches. They've had them before. Oh. Um, but, you know, I don't think the Money in the Bank was as good as people were making it out to be. And this certainly wasn't as good as the Money in the Bank uh, match. No. Uh, not, not even close. No. It was a very much nothing match. And... I'm not really sure why Jarrett was... I mean, it, it, he's, he lives in Nashville, or he, he's from Nashville, so I guess that kind of makes sense, but I kind of feel like that this is a relic from the Vince McMahon booking, and they just put him there to put him there, and that's it, and it's done. Uh, I am kind of curious to see what they're doing with the Street Profits, because they're teasing very heavily now that maybe they should just split up. I mean, that's what Seth yeah. Rollins said on Monday. Uh, they kind of been teasing that. They kind of been pushing that. I don't know if that's the direction or if it's just you know a, a ruse. But like they've been losing a lot of matches, and even even on Monday, Montez Ford lost to Seth Rollins. So I don't know what the yeah. direction is. But... No, I don't. But um, you know, like everyone does see Montez Ford as the breakout star, um, and he. You know, he's been putting on that main event muscle. Like, he's looking more jacked he's than he ever has. Of, yeah. He's getting yeah. a lot of mass. Um, I, I, who knows? Um, I, you would have to imagine that he will be a pet project of, of Paul's. Um, I think so. But, I, I, I mean, people seem to be quick to write off Angelo Dawkins or, or compare him to the Marty Jannetty of this team. And 
I, I, I think Dawkins is much better than people give credit for, but I, I think his issue is that his kind of current look doesn't really yeah. kind of scream that there's anything more to him than that. And I think he'd have to have a pretty a pretty big kind of reinvention of his character to uh, stand out on his own yeah, if well, that's what happens. Like, I think he's very good. I think he's improved a lot over the last year, but, I mean, I can just see him being lost in the shuffle because it's like they clearly have plans for Montez Ford, but do they have plans for Angelo Dawkins? I don't know. It's, it's up in the air. Yeah. Uh, Liv Morgan defeated Ronda Rousey by pinfall to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, Ronda Rousey is is pretty much now a heel, um, which makes sense because you would have to imagine that uh, Becky Lynch and Ronda will be the, the WrestleMania program, which doesn't need a title. And that's the best thing about that program is they absolutely can do that without the title being involved. Um which means that, you know, Liv Morgan, for the time being, is going to be the, the SmackDown Women's Champion. And I guess, you know, um, they did put the belt on her. They, I guess they're going to give it the old college try and see what happens. Um, it does kind of make you wonder, like, what did they do with Ronda in the meantime to keep her relevant and, and you know, put the heat on her? Um, this match was a bit weird. It was very short. Uh, it was the shortest match on the card which is probably the thing that you want to do because the longer this match goes, the more you kind of expose that is Ronda really the baddest woman on the planet if she's having to go like 10 minutes uh, in, in a match like this. Um, I feel like this is the kind of match where they were sort of damned if they did, damned if they didn't. And I feel like it's a let's just get this over and done with and then just kind of move on from it, um, which is as much as you can do when putting <coughs> in position. Yeah. I'm not really sure where they're going from here. I mean, I'm, clearly they're they're building toward a match for a Clash at the Castle, but do you want to end Liv's run there? Is Ronda Rousey a heel? They kind of, they kind of tease that she was, but I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, they, they, she attacked in Liv Morgan, so I would assume she's just kind of a heel now, but I don't know. I don't really know what the direction is. When when Charlotte going to be back? Who who knows? And there's a lot of things up in the air with the SmackDown Women's title. I'm not sure where, where exactly well, the direction I, is going beyond I, uh, Clash at the Castle. I have to say, I will be at Clash at the Castle, and I'm oh. hoping I get a match better than this one, because <laughs> I, wasn't I good. will not feel like I got my money's worth with this. <coughs> no. Yeah. And then finally, in the main event, last man standing match for the WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar, 23 minutes flat. In one of the wildest spectacles you will see from this company, or wrestling in general, and um, I, the point has been made that if WWE is going to do spectacle and some ridiculous display that only they can do, this is what that sort of match should look like. And I greatly enjoyed the complete chaos uh, that this match brought. And, uh, you know, like... I'm hoping that this is the last time these two face each other um, because it's been more misses than hits. So fucking just end on a high note and let this be it and let's yeah. move on. Um, yeah. What, what did you think of this match? I thought it was a spectacle and probably the best match of the night because just so much stuff happened. I mean, the track. everybody's probably going to remember the, the track during this match where it lifted up the ring and Roman tumbled out. A lot of they they made sure to put protect Brock Lesnar because they gave, they did everything to to take him down and he still got up and finally they just put a bunch of 
what was left of the announce table on him, and that's how Lesnar lost for, uh, I think, 0-2 and two this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, when they announced that this was going to be the match, that was going to be the final match, I was like, yeah, right. Because, you know, there's always going to be a situation where uh, somebody gets injured. And in this case, it was Randy Orton who got injured and, and was off SummerSlam. And there's always going to be injury. And the first person Vince McMahon always goes to was Brock Lesnar. But now Vince McMahon isn't there. And I don't know. I, I think we won't be seeing this match for a while. And I hope we don't because, man, did I have zero interest in seeing this when it was announced. And Brock Lesnar came out for his 465th return. But um, they ended up having a very good match. And it was a spectacle uh, weapons and, and tables and, and just everything everywhere. And tractors, it, don't forget tractors, tractors. Tractors. It was it was a wild match, and and I thought that was a, a very good way to cap off SummerSlam. Yeah, I will say, like people were talking about the concern for Roman when Brock picked up the ring, but I was thinking more the fact that you know that rampway. Um, it's not the biggest like rampway in the world, and there was not a lot of space between that tractor and the front row. And yeah, I was, I, I, I was kind of cons- worried, like, are they going to go into the fans? I hope not. You know, like, Brock was not exactly being delicate with that tractor, as if being yeah. delicate with a tractor is a thing you can do. So, yeah, that was kind of more my, my bigger pressing concern. Yeah. Um, but everyone seems to have come away unscathed, um, seemingly so. I guess the, the question there, just to end off our LWWE discussion, is uh, with Brock Lesnar going forward, and as you mentioned, you know Vince McMahon would always go back to Brock. That has been the thing. You think about it, Brock, this, this return of Brock now um, has been going on for 10 years, yeah, uh, which is kind of terrifying to think about. But yeah, we've had you know 10 years of, of this kind of version of Brock now, and... Is this it? Like, you know, does he fit into Triple H's vision that he wants to go forward? Maybe Triple H wants to use him, but more in the manner of like, hey, we need you to kind of help get some other people over. And in fairness, you know, Brock has pretty much done all you can in terms of getting Roman over and and helping Roman be the biggest part of uh, the, the company at this point. Um, but, you know, it, I do think that there is now other people that Brock can help to put over whoever the fuck those people would be at this point. Um, and, and does he fit into that? Would, does he want to be a part of that? Um, you know, there was all the kind of hearsay about him walking out, um, <laughs> before SmackDown when, when Vince was not there. Yeah. So he, he didn't like hearing Vince was gone. No, no. Uh, and you probably wouldn't considering the, the yeah. relationship. It, it and came the, out of nowhere. That, it came out yeah. of nowhere, so I kind of understand, but him walking out and then coming back in dramatically, it's like, oh, okay. You know, you, you know the thing with Brock Lesnar is he doesn't have, like, uh, the best temper. No. But so what do you think? Do you think <laughs> that he fits into, like, WWE going forward with Triple H? And, I, you know, like, do you think we'll see him again? I think we'll see him again. I'm pretty sure he'll be at that Saudi Arabia show, and I think it's November or something. I think he'll be there. I would assume he'll be into plans for WrestleMania. I hope it's not against Roman for the 400th time, but who knows? I, I think it's less likely with Triple H in charge. With Vince McMahon, I who, who knows? Uh, but 
I think we'll see him again. I mean, he's he he can go. Uh, sometimes it's it's hit and miss. Depends on what kind of match he wants to have and if he's motivated that day. But um, he's a star, and they spent most of this year and most of last year building both him and Roman up as two of the biggest stars in WWE. So him not being around after this, I mean, that would be kind of weird, but. I mean, there's always going to be people you want to put over. I'm sure they're going to build up new talent that they want to put over. Like, I don't think Theory is going to beat them, but I mean, we'll, we'll see who else you, uh, will come up the ranks. And I do think it's, it's we're reaching that point though, where it's it's we we really should build younger talent and go kind of past the Brock Lesnar's of the world. Who I, I don't know if he's reaching fifty, but I think he's at least forty-five. I believe Brock is 45, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of time. All right. Well, that is it for WWE for now. Uh, we'll jump over to AEW. And it, I have to say, I feel like AEW actually had kind of a fairly quiet month. Um, yeah. I, partially because it's, we had death. Vince McMahon left, and that's going to overshadow anything AEW does this month. Yeah, is well, their it's big partially... Thing, their big thing was death for dishonor, technically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had, like, two TV special specials with Fighter Fest, which, in fairness, actually was over two weeks, and then Fight for the Fallen. But as you mentioned, the kind of the bigger emphasis uh, for this month was on the Death Before the Sonner pay-per-view. But I guess, actually, the thing that's interesting about that is that for the first time, um, we had, roughly over the, case of, over the course of three months, we had three Tony Khan-produced pay-per-views um, between... Um, Double or Nothing, Forbidden Door, and uh, Death Before the Sauna. Uh, and these were all like three tremendous shows. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think that we're going to get into the process of there being a, a Tony Khan produced pay per view every month. But I do think I that, not. you know, if he, if he was testing the waters of seeing, you know, can we do more than four pay-per-views? Which I think that Tony Khan can do. Whether it's a case of there being four uh, AEW pay-per-views and four Ring of Honor pay-per-views that kind of get segued in between. I think that as long as you don't go up to 12, you never need to do 12. Um, I think that he's proven, at least with these three, that you know he doesn't have to do the three-month cycle between pay-per-views. Um, I just like right, that he yeah. doesn't because... Those scrums I have to cover. I don't <laughs> like those scrums. I'm sorry, but two hours of a lot of nothing. I, I and it's at like nine p.m. my time, and it's like I want to go on and focus on other stuff. I have a life outside of wrestling. What what I is don't... the the biggest what is the biggest issue with the scrums? Is it Tony Khan or is it the questions that he's asked? Probably more the latter than the former because, you know, you can only ask him so much and you can only say so much. Like, if you want to ask him about Ring of Honor on a TV deal, who knows? What's his relationship with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery? Who knows? That's going to be a big story. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I it's more of I'm just getting through a four-hour pay-per-view and... It's now two hours into the scrum where FCR is just talking about... And they're interesting guys, and it's an interesting story, but, I mean, this is our five or six of my coverage of this show, and I'm like, I, I just want this to be done. 
Yeah. That's always my feelings on the on these scrums. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I mean, you know, like, uh, I, I can't um, fully empathize in the fact that, you know, I'm in a different time zone to you. And by the time the AEW shows come to an end, I'm already asleep because uh, yeah. it's usually about four or five. I think it was I think it was double or nothing specifically that it was about five o'clock in the morning. And like the birds were screaming at me yeah. um, and the show still hadn't ended yet. And I was questioning certain life choices that I'd made. So, um, yeah, no, I I get that. That would probably be torturous. Um, But I don't know. I feel like there might be more pay-per-views in the calendar year. Um, It's definitely possible. They're still going to do Ring of Honor pay-per-views. I would be surprised if there's no Final Battle, for example. Or, uh, you know, a show maybe November or October. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty uh, clear that he wants to keep Ring of Honor alive and run shows and... Oh, that's he's definitely, ho- you know... He's, he's hoping yeah. that Warner Brothers Discovery finds a slot for him somewhere. Well, I, don't know, I don't know about Warner Brothers Discovery. There's a lot of stuff coming out over the last couple of days regarding them. A lot of uh, cutting. You know, that Batgirl film that they filmed is, is done. They're removing content. Yeah. There's rumors about HBO Max being absorbed into Discovery+. Plus. I don't know. There's and actually you know, there's a, there's a media call going on at the moment yeah. um, that I saw some stuff going on in regards to HBO Max, um, but I'm not following it closely enough. But there, there is something happening at the moment. I know that much. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah, they do have their media call today, so we'll see what happens. I mean, there, there's a bunch of rumors about a lot of stuff, and you know what's going to happen with AEW's TV deal in a couple of years when it comes up and. Is Warner Brothers Discovery going to be interested? And that's another thing about you know the wrestling landscape completely changing. It's like if they get a big TV deal, I mean, it's going to be like any people can jump in anywhere and get money and get paid. But if AEW doesn't get a big TV deal, I mean, what what happens then? Yeah. So I mean, there, there's a lot of questions and a lot of variables, and it'll be interesting to see how things shake out in the next. Uh, year or so a couple of years uh so i you know i'll just kind of throw the question over to you like any matches from the last month uh, in aew that stood out to you let me see i'm gonna bring up my star ratings tracker because there's always, yeah i think with, with there's so much good wrestling and i always lose track and i don't think i even updated this recently the last one was yeah i covered this at death before dishonor so it's kind of like a, a week and actually, Daniel Bryan, uh, Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia had a really good match. I haven't put yep, it on there that's yet. that's on my Star Tracker. I, I think, yeah. I believe I went... Oh, where are we? Uh, I, I would I went go four, four and a half. I went four and a quarter. Okay. I went four and a quarter. It, it was yeah, an excellent that, match. That was a very, very strong match. Um, one of those matches that in terms of like, you know, like... One of the bigger arguments about WWE for the longest time is this idea that wins and losses don't matter. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, like the idea of Brian Danielson or Daniel Garcia beating Brian Danielson, like that is that a big, big deal. They are going to make a big deal out of that. That is a win that is going to matter. Yes. Um, and, you know, that really, you really get the sense of, hey, and actually it's not only Garcia, you know, you've seen... Um, over the last couple of weeks, the this match with Garcia, um, what they've been doing with like Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs and trying to kind of get them up to the next level. 
obviously the feud with uh, Jungle Boy and Christian Cage and what that's going to do for Jungle Boy. And you're really getting the sense of like, hey, we have to get that next like uh, generation of wrestlers like up to this level because, you know, look, hey, as much as I love the punks and the Danielsons of the world, those two in particular are both in their 40s. Uh, you know, Moxley is in his late 30s. Um, you know, Omega is in his 40s. You know, of their kind of top-tier guys, it's only really Adam Page um, who is in his early 30s, I believe. So, like, you know, they're kind of like... I, I would imagine Tony Khan, whether he was thinking about it over the next year or so, or it came to him when he had this injury crisis recently, but there has been a very kind of, like, renewed emphasis, like, okay, we have to get a bunch of these wrestlers up to that next level. And, yeah, uh, yeah this this match with Garcia is, I mean, is evident of that. Yeah, uh, Dan Garcia and Wheeler Yuta are definitely the two that they are pushing hard, and they'll be the next big stars. I, I mean, Dante Martin, they kind of pushed for a while, and he's kind of fallen by the They've wayside. They've been more start-stop with him, you know? Yeah, but they're, they're, it's clear that they're full full-on with uh, Dan Garcia and, yep. and Wheeler Yuta. So uh, that's interesting to see. But then they're both great, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. Um, in terms of matches for last month in AEW specifically, I really liked uh, Konosuke Takeshita. Uh, he's incredible. And uh, he had a great match with Eddie Kingston on Rampage, I believe. Yes, yes, Rampage. And then he followed that up with a great match with John Moxley, and I thought mm -hmm. he should have won there. And, and I'm not saying he should have been champion, but I mean they should have had him win big there and then do a match the following week and lost or lose because I think he is really great, and he, he this is like the best excursion ever for him. Because, um, you know, DDT fans and Japanese fans have always said he's good yeah. it wasn't until he came, came over here where it's like he is putting on great matches with some of the best talent not just at AEW, but in, in the independence as well with a uh, speedball mike bailey and a, a lot of other people so yeah i actually i have a, a match of these on my star track for the month um uh, garden state pro wrestling which is i believe was a, a new company um out of new jersey and on their inaugural show, they had Takesh to go up against Josh Alexander. Oh. Um, and that was a, a flat four stars for me, but just, you know, really, really solid stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you would think that it would be. And uh, I've also got Moxley and Takesh to, I, I think that was a really kind of, really just intense physical affair. Yeah. And there is a, there's a physicality with Takesh to, that you don't get with a lot of other wrestlers because he has, you know, the size... Um, and yeah. the agility and there's there's a toughness about him that really translates through in a way that you don't need to be speaking the same language it's all in the kind of physical presence of him the problem that that exists currently with Takeshita is just that you know he's constantly being booked to lose yeah and he's, that's he's why now I, that's why he's overcoming this yeah, he's overcoming this by the fact that he uh, he's having tremendous matches. Yeah. But, like, you know, his next match he's booked against is Claudio for the Ring of Honor yeah, title. He's, he's, which... he's not going to be Ring of Honor champion. No, he's not. But Especially again, since he's a... going to Japan uh, later this month. He's returning yeah. back to Japan. Now, there's a fair chance that might be one of the best fucking matches of the year. You know, like, I, so. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. 
Um, but it is like, what is the long-term gain? Now, you know, it is a, only a year-long excursion, so... Um, there are only so many things you can do. Like, hey, we've got Wardlow wrapped up with the TNT title, so he's not going anywhere near that. He's probably not going to go near the, the, the uh, world title. So um, do you want to kind of, like, throw him into the mix of Ring of Honor and maybe, like, go for the TV title? Or just have something for him where he's winning some matches. Yeah. Um, and again, he's overcoming it just by the fact that all of these matches are excellent. But, um, you know... People do want to see him start winning some matches. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's probably picked up wins on you know Dyn uh, Ram or Dark 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 Elevation, but nobody yeah. watches those shows. No, he needed a no, win on I... Rampage or Dynamite, and he really hasn't. I mean, a lot of people aren't watching Rampage anymore. But I know uh, that that's also yeah. they've turned that yeah. to the C show, and it's become very apparent that that's not that they shouldn't book like that. There, there's enough talent to where. They can uh, they can put on a better show than the, the recent shows that I've, I've seen. I mean, Ruby Soho and Anna Jay, and you know I think they're both very talented, and I think they are. They have uh, Ruby Soho. I, I think is is really great, and, and Anna Jay has a lot of potential. But I mean, you're headlining Rampage with with that. It's like that's very much a stretch compared to previous shows, and it it, it clearly showed in the ratings. Yeah, I mean, that's a middle-of-the-hour dynamite match at best. Yeah. Um, but who knows? We'll see what happens and how they uh, they intend to turn it around, if TK intends to. Um, the one match, actually, which I didn't think was great, but I think at least is worth kind of quickly bringing up, is the barbed wire everywhere match um, from week two of Fighter Fest between Eddie Kingston and Jericho. Um, what was kind of deemed to be their blow-off match of what has been about a six month feud at this point and for the most part uh, has been a really solid feud starting from their match at Revol uh, revolutions kind of all the way through to um, anarchy the arena and uh, blood and guts and for the most part like anything involving those two has turned out really well like even the six-man tag from forbidden door but uh, this kind of blow-off match mm, not great uh, not great bit of yeah. a mess yeah, we're talking about Eddie Kingston and Jericho, right? Yeah, the, okay, the barbed wire yeah. match. Yeah, that, that wasn't good. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but that a... finish was was I, I didn't think it was good. I thought the shark cage stuff was silly, and it didn't work. And then they ended up everybody ended up being out anyway, and you know they took a lot of scary spots, and that was it was kind of a spectacle. But I mean, I thought Eddie Kingston should have won that match and. Uh, but you know, I guess the direction was like they're, they're probably going to do Brian Danielson and uh, Chris Jericho at uh, All Out, mm -hmm. so Jericho probably needed the win for that to continue that feud to to start to give him some momentum going into that feud. And I don't know. I think Jer I think Kingston should have won that. And you know, they immediately got his heat back by throwing Jericho into like a barbed wire or a table or or something. But it's like. It's just not the way to approach that. Yeah, it it, yeah. it, it didn't work for me. It's just, yeah. And the feud yeah, had been and, pretty all right. But, yeah, the feud yeah. had been excellent up until that. And yeah. I also think that the kind of fallout and the payoff for this is the fact that Kingston is now going to have a match with Guevara at the pay-per-view. Um, I he, he needs to win that one. Like, like come on. Well, he, he, he will win, win that one. He will win that one. That goes without saying. But it feels like, you know, instead of 
finalizing this feud and moving on to something else, it's like he's now kind of gone off onto like a sub part of that same feud with someone else. And it's, I don't know, um, it's not ideal, but um, we'll see what happens. I know everyone's kind of banging on the idea that he might win the title um, at Grand Slam, but I don't see how that's going to line up logistically, but you know. Hey, I mean, I could anything see, is possible. I could see a, a Moxley Kingston match at, at Grand Slam, but I don't know. I don't see him winning. I don't see Kingston winning the title. I, no. I mean, the eventual match is going to be Moxley and CM Punk. Pro- I, I don't even know if that's going to be all out though. I think no. Like the the, the current kind of like, like from what. What Punk was saying at uh, was it the San Diego Comic Con? Yeah. Um, he's his foot is messed up at the moment, so yeah, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I would guess probably after. Anyway, and before before November. Yeah. Next show. Um, so that's AEW for the moment. Um, kind of staying sort of in the same wheelhouse as mentioned. Ring of Honor had their death before the Sonner pay per view. The, uh, the first pay-per-view or the first kind of Ring of Honor event since Supercard of Honor, which had the uh, kind of like infamous now tag team match between FTR and the Briscoes, uh, still one of the better matches that you'll see this year. Uh, this match was headlined by that rematch, which, you know, for me, this pay-per-view was uh, sold on that rematch alone. Yeah. Um, and anything else was a bonus. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Even though this match was kind of sold on the, on that, this card was sold on that one match. Uh, overall, this was a pretty solid pay per view. Um, yeah, I, I did enjoy. On this show. I did enjoy this match. Uh, sorry, enjoy this show quite a lot. Um, you know, we started with uh, Claudio Castagnoli defeating Jonathan Gresham for the Ring of Honor World Championship, and I guess uh, you know this isn't just a match that exists within the realms of this match there's quite a lot that uh, sort of went on before <laughs> and yeah there's a, lot, there's a lot of story about this match and uh yeah uh it, i don't know what happened but i guess gresham is gone i don't know I, it the, would seem so the reports were that he re- retired after this match like yeah. he, he was done and then he showed up at rick flair's last match the rick flair's and, last match yeah so <laughs> and he looked incredible in that match so i don't yeah. know what what the story is with him but apparently there's yeah, clearly I, issues i don't know khan. yeah um whether it's a case of like khan doesn't see as much in gresham as gresham sees in himself um could I, be I, that I maybe could, i could kind of see that because they brought him in and he had like one match at Battle of the Belts that he kind of disappeared for months until he came back on on, on Rampage and you know this feud was this match was kind of built haphazardly. I mean there was a they did a turn they put him with uh, a Tully Blanchard then Tully Blanchard just disappears on, on on the show and is replaced with Prince Nana. Yeah, I mean I would I would look at that if I I would kind of look at that and be like. Yeah, well, what's going on here? Cause, yeah. And apparently one of the big issues was a lack of communication between him and Tony Khan. And, yeah. And look, you know, not everyone can just kind of go to the, the booker's office and, and, and have that conversation. Sure. But, you know, like, hey, he is the, the world champion of this promotion that you own. And, uh, you know, I can, I can understand... Um, 
wanting to have a, a, a more open kind of dialogue and have that conversation, whatever that conversation may be. Um, and look, I, I've really enjoyed Gresham's reign. I, I think that he's had some really solid matches this year. He has kind of tailed off a little bit over the last few months. I know he had COVID and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are some aspects that were kind of out of his control. And, uh, you know, if you want your ring of honor world championship to change hands and you want to kind of go in the new direction i would say there's probably a more meaningful way to do it that's not to say that they should have headlined the show because again i do think that uh the briscoes and ftr should have been the main event yeah. but it this kind of felt like a bit of an afterthought and um, yeah was... maybe it just comes down to if nothing else gresham just felt like it was a slap in the face the the you know he would lose the title in such a fashion but Hey, that's wrestling, you know? The it booker is. says do something, you go and do it. Yeah, I can see him being upset about the positioning on the card because I was not expecting this to open the show. But it did, and they had a good match. It wasn't a bad match, it was, it was pretty good. But, yeah. I mean, I think, in the end, I think people are going to remember more about what the circumstances behind this match than the actual match, which yeah. was good, but uh, not memorable. Yeah. But it's like Claudio winning the title. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for Gresham because uh, the kind of the the public persona that now exists with him at the moment, um, it's not favorable for him, shall we say? No. And uh, especially you know, after it got out that he said something about being in the PWI five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Speculated. Speculated. Speculation. Speculated. Probably yes. maybe it didn't happen. I don't know, but that's that was one of the reports. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, Gresham, if you're listening, I like you. Um, I'm a big fan of land. Jonathan Gresham. I, I yeah, am. wherever you land was, on your feet. I was very excited to see him coming to AEW, and you know, I don't know. It's, I I can see that that Tony Khan maybe didn't see something that you know Ring of Honor did. Yeah. I, I hope he goes um, somewhere. I think he'd be great in New Japan. I mean, I, look, I was he really bounce... looking forward to seeing him and, and Brian Danielson. I, I was hoping that was going to be a match. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's I mean, not happening. He, he could bounce into to Impact. Obviously, his wife is there, um, so sure. you know, there's there's an instant kind of uh, connection that can be made there. Um, and and worked, you know, obviously, he was, he was working there earlier this year. Had like a great match. Certainly with was Chris Saban. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So, like, I could see that being a, a possibility. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, hey, there's a bunch of other stuff. He's obviously got his own stuff with the, the Terminus promotion. Um, you know, NWA is, is an option out there as well. Um, so, yeah, who knows? I don't want to see right? anybody in NWA. <laughs> well, like, we never talk about it, but, my God, I, I, I edit those shows for the front page. And they read terrible. Like, they bring in the worst talent. Look, uh, the talent's not there. Uh, the matches aren't—they're headlining with Tyrus. Look, what month. are you gonna do? What? What? Who else? Who else have you got to work with? You know, anybody else but Tyrus? <laughs> like, oh my god! Like, oh my yeah. god! I cannot believe that. Yeah, it's not great. It's not no. great. If more if so people you... actually watch that that stuff, oh. easily worst TV show of the year. Worst yeah. events of the year. They they ended up running the Reese Perry's with a DQ, which is like, what? Like, like you're trying to get people to watch it, your it... product and you're headlining a match with a DQ. And then the one for last pay-per-view with uh, 
where Matt Cardona had to vacate the NWA title. I mean, that angle took forever to, to finally get through, and they had a match which was okay. And sure, Murdoch is the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, which, okay. I yeah, think but if no one good, watches it, I if kinda no one like, watches it, did it really happen? Yeah. I, I kind of like him as babyface, but it's like, there's so much talent out there, and you're you're going with these this roster like like come on yeah yeah uh, tell you what was great though uh wheelie utah defeated daniel garcia for match. the pure wrestling rules uh pure sorry the ring of runner pure championship um this ended after uh garcia had used up one um uh rope break and uh then utah got the pin full with i don't know what he calls that a particular type of uh roll up that he does but it's a tremendous yeah. looking uh, finisher yeah and yeah just just a tremendous match all around and a match that i i think one of the interesting things about this show and one of the things that's going to be interesting about ring of honor going forward is what this kind of crowd looks like um what yeah. the crowd makeup is because well, like i saw this crowd as like very much AEW fans i i thought that they really got into the people and they got towards the end of the matches but during the matches, when they were doing like, uh, you know, the, their style, it's, they were kind of flat for a lot of stuff until the end. Uh, with yeah. that Briscoe's and FTR, and in yeah. this match, I, I mean, they eventually got into it, and they chanted like, "This is wrestling and, and stuff." So I, yeah. I, I kind of like that they got into this match, but um, to me, it came across very much like an AEW uh, crowd that came to watch the Ring of Honor show that was booked by Tony Khan, and you know that. that it's, it's, it's a plus because, you know, if you remember those last few ROH shows under Sinclair, they were drawing, like, 400 people. Oh, it was terrible. <clears throat> it was horrendous. Terrible crowds. And I think this had, like, 2,000 plus. So, I mean, this is a... It's definitely better than it was uh, at the end of last year when they shut down, but... Yeah, and I think... It, 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 it's it, clear it... that this is being influenced by AEW, and AEW is the one who's... I don't want to say propping up, but it's it's pretty much propping up uh, Ring of Honor and and yeah, so yeah. yeah. I, see it I, as I will say, I will say one thing. Um, other than the commentary, which definitely does have its, I mean, it, look, it's it's um, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman. Um, so they brought that team back over from. I, I like the, them. They're yeah, they're the one of the better uh, commentary duos that you'll yeah. get in wrestling at the moment, and. Um, you know, between like them and having Bobby Cruz on the ring announcement, you still all have all of that. That it, feels it's, like it's, it, of... feel, it feels like a Ring of Honor show. Yeah, but definitely. But I will it, say, yeah. I will say some of the aspects of like the visual production and the kind of like entrance setup or whatever does feel a little bit too kind of AEW light for me. Um, yeah. I don't know what I would want them to do, but there are certain aspects of the way the the camera looks and the production. Like, like hey, it, look, was, it wasn't like a glitzy AEW show it, it felt kind of like ring of honor a little bit but yeah, yeah I mean, in terms it, of I, graphics and some other little things here and there it did it did feel like a aw production yeah um uh, but hey you know i'm sure with time um those kind of things can be ironed out and uh, yeah. if they're the kind of bigger complaints that i have then that probably means the show was pretty good uh roosh defeated dragon lee in 15 <laughs> minutes 50 seconds and I swear to God, Dragon Lee, you know, like, I haven't seen him wrestle that much lately, but um, certainly I was watching a lot of his stuff in New Japan, 
And that is one of those types of wrestlers, kind of like a, a Takahashi, who wrestles like he does not give a single fuck about his well-being. And that's probably why they have such good chemistry together. I mean, th- some of those yeah. matches they've had are incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dragon and this Lee's is awesome. like... Yeah, he is. And this is probably like the the best match I've seen Roosh have, because I've never yeah. really been the biggest Roosh fan. Now, admittedly... He, the, the goal of this match was to put his brother over strong so he can get in. And yeah, he should be. Yeah, he should have been in before this match. So I don't yeah. know what the hangup um, is. Yeah, like I, I've never been the biggest fan of Roosh, and admittedly, most of my uh, experience watching Roosh has been through Ring of Honor uh, during like one of its low points. Um, but you know, I, I thought these two were tremendous, and I thought actually, you know, Roosh had a, a really solid match with Moxley uh, the Wednesday. Yeah, they after. had a really good match too. Yeah, uh, like no means any kind of like world world beat or anything, but still no, a really but, solid I mean, match. Uh, Rush a really was, solid two weeks for Roosh. Yeah, th- those two Roosh matches. I mean, it was clear that he wanted to, you know, work, and they, they both great matches. I was kind of wondering going into that Moxley match. It's like, does Roosh want to do the job here? Because you know, he, we we kind of know about that history with him in ring of honor and stuff like that and he uh, he's kind of adverse to doing jobs but he did do the job there so i mean he, I mean, he kind of has to i mean if you're gonna like, lose you you might as well lose to the, the world champion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So he, he, and he had a good match so yeah um we had a couple other matches here. Um, Mercedes Martinez defeated Serena Deeb. I didn't really think much of this. Um, I kind of zoned out. I um, thought they had a very technically really good match, but the crowd didn't care. No, no. And I think that I'm someone, and I'll admit this, I tend to struggle. Like, if a crowd isn't into a match, it makes me find it hard to get into the match yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I struggle from that. and. I am guilty of that. And technically, it um, was a really good match. I thought they worked really hard, and Mercedes and Serena are both really good. But the crowd didn't care. I mean, the build to this match was they teamed for a few weeks, then turned on each other. Yeah. I, I think that kind of speaks as well a lot to the idea of like what the makeup of this crowd was, and yeah. the fact that they probably either weren't as familiar with the two of them, or just that they're not, you know, these are two characters that aren't as over- because uh, it was kind of the same deal uh, where Serena Deeb wrestled, I think, Thunder Rosa. But that was also a very strong match, technically, but the crowd... The crowd isn't into Serena Deeb. I, I don't know yeah. why. She, she's really good. And she came, she, she comes off as, as a good heel, but... Whatever it is, it, it, she's not connecting with the audience. She, I feel like she was over for a while during the Hikaru Shida feud, but yeah, I feel like that bit. feud went on. That feud went that on just feud a little bit too forever. long. Yeah, yeah, that might have been the issue. Uh, Samoa Joe defeated Jay Lethal by submission for the uh, World Television Championship in a solid match. Um, you know, Joe is one of those people again in his forties that. The, the kind of limitations are there to see, but he still has the presence and aura. It's just he has Samoa incredible Joe, presence. Never gonna go that, away. that 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 takes up a good part of his match. This match, he has a great yeah. presence. Um, I I liked the kind of story that they told at this match in terms of like the actual kind of build up to it. 
um, you know, harkening back to Jay Lethal's early, early days as a member of Special K and how Joe took him under his wing. Um, I think that all speaks to the massive nerd that Tony Khan is and his yeah. uh, <laughs> knowledge of early Ring of Honor. He brought back Slim J. <laughs> you know that, uh, he that, that did bring back Slim J. That Trespasser stable. Going on? Yeah. That's so strange. Like in 2022, he picked up Slim J. Who, I mean, he had a pre-show match here and he looked good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's hey. with Ari Davari and uh, the former Harland. That is a stable yeah. I never thought would exist in, in pro wrestling. You like, can't predict that. Them and, and uh, the wingmen, you know, just kind of two of the weird yeah. like, hodgepodge stables I've seen in a while. Uh, but yeah, this was which was fine, but not kind of spectacular, um, which I, I guess is about the most you can expect from... Uh, actually, they're saying that like the match uh, Joe had with uh, Minoru Suzuki uh, was really a couple weeks ago yeah. was great. So, I don't know. Uh, I feel like that type of match works more to the strengths that Joe has yeah. in 2022 than, uh, than what this was. And then finally, two out of three falls for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. The uh, FTR defeated the Briscoe Brothers in 43 minutes, 25 seconds, um, with a score of 2-1. to one. And I put it to you, Brian, that they were obviously going out of their way. They were going, they were trying to do what they could to top that original match. Um, and... I don't think that they did, and I think that the two out of three falls gimmick kind of hindered um, any chance that that was going to happen. I like two out of three falls matches, but I feel like just the the sheer like spectacle and the kind of level that the match could end at any time that existed in that original, and I guess just the kind of lightning in, in a bottle kind of vibe that, that original match had, they were not able to recapture in this match. But with this said, this was still an excellent match. It was quite long. Uh, you know, it's 43 minutes. There's oh, not yeah. a lot of 43-minute matches I want to watch. Um, but I think that all four men here... I think we kind of saw more out of Cash Wheeler in this match. Because Dax Harwood tends to be the, the let's say, captain of the team. But the kind of person you pay more attention to. Yeah, but I feel he, like he Wheeler, cut a hell of a promo of the Dynamite before this show. Talking yeah. about his... Uh, eight-year-old uh, daughter who had a hole in her heart and uh, she recovered from it and he said, you know, at the end I want to fight like an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> That's a t-shirt now. And Yeah. Yeah. I was... um, but I, I, I feel like uh, Cash Wheeler really got a moment to shine in this match yeah. in a way that um, he hadn't done previously. And I don't know if that means that like they kind of wanted to, to make the match based around that. Um, but that's what kind of I took away from this, and obviously the fucking um, avalanche pile driver to end the match. As oh well. yeah, yeah, that was a <laughs> wild finish. Yeah, I know this was an excellent. Uh, match. What did you think of this match? Yeah, uh, this was you an excellent it? match. Uh, I don't think it was as good as the Super Card of Honor match, but I mean they wrestled forty-five minutes, and it was good all the way. I, I, I mean FTR awesome. The Briscoes are awesome, and. The avalanche pile driver at the end was completely wild and it needed to be finished, and I think heavens it did. But you know, there is kind of a point to you know the, the two out of three false stipulation. I, I do think the crowd kind of like isn't there for like the first two falls because they know 
you, you know that you know somebody's gonna pick up the first fall and somebody's gonna pick up the second fall and the third fall will be the deciding fall. There isn't too many matches, at least in North America, where it's like it's it's the opposite. So, but they did get into the the match by by the third uh, fall, and it was a very hot match. Um, I don't think it was as good as Supercard of Honor, but it was very close, and it's probably one of the top matches of the year, regardless. And the promo they cut at the end was was cool. There are, there f bombs dropped, which I don't think is on any. You know, I kind of used to on UFC peer reviews, but I'm not, or even on GCW shows, but I'm not used to it on a. You know, AEW, WWE, Ring of Honor shows. But, you know, that was great. And, you know, they came off as the big, biggest Bay Faces in the world. These two matches have made FTR into one of the, the hottest tag teams in the United States. And they should be wrestling for the AEW tag team titles at All Out. They, they really should. It's, it's, it's their year. It's absolutely their year. And uh, you know, I was kind of thinking like the Young Bucks and FTR were, were going to have uh, that match because, you know, they were the champions and uh, Young Bucks were the champions and FTR had all, all the titles. And it kind of made sense to do that at All Out, but clearly they're going in a different direction with, with the trio's titles being introduced. And so I really do think the match for All Out needs to be FTR and uh, Swerve and Keith Lee. I really do. Yeah, um, so that's it for for North America. Um, <laughs> actually, no, no. The last thing we need to do with, with North America, uh, we need to talk about because there was a whole bunch of things that happened over SummerSlam weekend. Oh yeah, um, this kind of felt like a, a WrestleMania weekend. Um, I, I watched kind of bits and pieces. I watched some of the GC stub, GCW stuff. Um, some of it was okay. I watched the the main event of the New Japan show, El Desperado and John Moxley. I did watch um, that. Although it was pretty good. Yeah. It was, you know, it was. It was uh, Alex Shelley and uh, Chris Sabin had a, a very good. Or no, it was Kushida. Kushida and Alex Shelley had a really good match. They did actually. Uh, Sabin and Shelley had a really good match on uh, on Impact a couple of weeks. Yeah, ago that's as well, what I was thinking ago. of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the kind of big, I guess, other kind of uh, highlight. Highlight might not be the right word, but notable event of the weekend was Ric Flair's last match yeah. being promoted by Jim Crockett Promotions. And uh, a really like weird hybrid card of a bunch of different promotions from uh, Progress to Impact to, uh, I mean, you know, technically WWE with Jeff Jarrett being in there. Just a fucking mishmash of all these promotions and um, yeah. a bunch of different styles. I thought, for the most part, this card um, never really hit that second gear. Like, you know, you had the American Wolves and, and Motor City Machine Guns, but if that was a match that happened 10 years ago, you probably had a match of the year contender on. But uh, this was just a, a kind of solid three-star affair. I thought um, it was a little bit better than that, but not like the best match on the show. I, yeah, I think I mean, the, the, the four-way, the Triple-A match yeah, was like the best the only, match the show. The only good match on this show was the Triple-A uh, four-way with, off the top of my head, if I can remember, Laredo Kid, uh, Taurus, Dre, uh, Ray Phoenix, and Bandido. Bandido, yeah. Um, which was, in some ways, sort of a rematch of the five-way match 
uh, from uh, last month or the month before in AAA yeah. with uh, Vicky. That was also well. a wild match. That, that one of my favorite matches of the year. I remember saying yeah. on the show. <laughs> it was a wild um, spectacle. Yeah, and this was also fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, with the likes of, you know, Bandito doing that fall away, top rope fall away slam uh, into a crowd of people. Just, you know, just vi- Taurus saving Bandido's life because that tope that Nini went oh, yeah. really wrong. Um, yeah, just look, th- these four know what to do when they get in there. And I think that my takeaway from both the five-way match and this four-way match is that uh, Taurus, not only is he the best base in wrestling, but I think he's incredibly underrated. And um, I don't know, I just, I want to see him just do something more pivotal uh, somewhere in in the wrestling landscape because I think that he's just such an an engaging talent who both has the size but the speed as well. Uh, You know, he's he's a big man luchador. Um, Yeah, and I'd just like to see him do more. And in terms of Taurus, it's like he's an impact, but it's like you never hear about what he's doing. He's like with Crazy Steve. Yeah. And have uh, Rosemary, and he's just kind of there, which is really weird because he's really good, but you never hear about what he's doing in Impact. It's because he's not really doing much in Impact, he's, unfortunately. Because it's, <laughs> he's not really doing much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, weird. like I'm not saying throw the X Division title on him, on him tomorrow, but you know, there's uh, there's a singles match there for the X Division title that you could do at any point with him and Speed Speedball, uh, which I think would be awesome. Anyway, the main event of this uh, pay-per-view was Ric Flair and Andrade El Idolo uh, against the team of Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. I will say I do think that the build-up that they did with the story that they were telling, um, I think that they actually did some really kind of nifty work with that um, and, you know, kind of explaining the frustrations of Jay Lethal and uh you know wanting to be in this match and rick flair being like hey you know i'll put you on the undercard and uh and, and lethal going out of his way to say no fuck you you will wrestle me um but i have to say i watched the entrances uh i watched them all get into the ring i saw flair with the the big gold belt and i saw him get into the ring um you know looking doing his best mermaid man impression uh, which is one of the funnier things that I saw <laughs> on Twitter. But as soon as I saw Jay Lethal do that headlock takedown on Flair that was, I think, done in slow motion and might actually still be happening as we speak, uh, yeah. I decided, you know what? This ain't the match for me. And yes. uh, other than a few gifts, I have not watched this match and I have no intention to. It was uh, sad. It definitely was sad. You know, I, I like Ric Flair's matches. Uh, you know, growing up and, you know, watching the old stuff from Jim Crockett promotions in the 80s. And Flair's always been a great worker, but, you know, in here it's like he's 73, he's injured, as a pacemaker. He looks so slow. He can only do chops, and those look really sad. I mean, I think there was a point where he, where he told Andrade that he passed out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very... I don't know why he had to be in here at 73 and given all of his health issues but they want to do one more last match and that i hope that is the last match they do because it a lot of it was you know milking the crowd and jared's very good at doing that 
uh, Flair's very good at doing that, but it was very clear. The weaknesses were out there and very clear and evident, and they it it wasn't good. It was very scary scary to watch because yeah, you never really know what was going to happen and and how, just how bad Flair looked, and he looked very bad. And I hope it's the last match. I, I don't want to see Rick Flair back in the ring. No more. No, it's it's no. over. <sighs> Fingers crossed. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's bounce over to Japan and not talk about that ever again. And I, you know what? I'm going to start on a high note first. Let's let's wash the taste of that out of, of our mouths. Uh, Stardom has has had a, an excellent month. Um, I don't know if you've been able to catch out catch up on anything between both the uh, Kings of Midsummer show that happened earlier this month and the five star Grand Prix. Which I'll just put it to you. Uh, of the kind of round robin style tournaments happening in Japan at the moment, the five star Grand Prix is the better of the two, and there are only two nights in. I didn't know. I I, I have not watched anything Stardom <coughs> Stardom related this month, but um, G One. There's been some good matches, but uh, nothing really a, a, like a lot worth talking about. It's not a really, tournament that's happening no. in Japan. Yeah. I mean, I I will just say in regards to uh, in regards to stardom. Uh, so they had the first two nights of the five star Grand Prix. Um, both nights had uh, some really strong stuff on there. You had a kind of combination of uh, Suri and Azumi. Uh, just like Azumi is, I think she's only like nineteen, and she has an assurance and a confidence about her that you know you would only hope most wrestlers would gain by the time they hit their thirties. And, uh, you know, she's in there with Siri, who's just having, you know, just a banner year. Like, she's one of my wrestlers of the year by far. Um, you had Hazuki and Julia, who main evented the first night. Uh, and I think that they put on an incredible performance. And, uh, like, kind of like the surprise upset where Julia's actually gone um, zero and two. Like, people had had her to be the favorites to win this tournament. And currently, she's now trying to kind of chase from behind. Um, but they were excellent. And then Starlight Kid and Seiya uh, Kamitani, which was actually a rematch of the match that they had early in the month at Kings of Midsummer, which I had at 4.7, 4 and 3 quarters. I thought that match was incredible. Uh, Seiya Kamitani is one of my favorite uh, wrestlers of the year. She's she's kind of like a female Kota Ibushi in some ways. And it's not just because she does a Phoenix Splash, um, but there's just she has a presence and an aura about her. And... Uh, her and Starlight Kid, just they seem to have magic every time that they get in the ring. So, between the match they had earlier in the month, this match uh, during the Grand Prix wasn't as good, uh, but still an exceptional match that I went four stars on. And uh, yeah, just um, definitely, you know, if, if you want to get into stardom, the five star Grand Prix is always a good place to join in because they usually start really, really strong and they usually end really, really strong as well. Um, so, that is my stardom hot takes. But we will come back to the G1, uh, which we are what? We're like nine or ten nights into this thing now. And the first couple of nights, there were some decent matches and we can get into them. But overall, I have found this tournament to be very underwhelming. Yeah, it's, it's just we've reached a point where A, the crowds are still not allowed to chant or do anything. And that takes everything down a notch. Yep. Be the the roster this year. I like some of the people they added. I think Filthy Tom has, has been fun to watch. I think he I, mm -hmm. it's very cool to see him get over. 
Yep. But I mean, and the overall sense of things, I, I think the roster is a little bit weak because you have like Bad Luck Fale, who I've not heard good things about. Ayuso uh, Takahashi, you know, a lot of these guy evil, these guys who are just not good, or their gimmick makes them not good, and they they have not that great of matches. And you know, you take those two, and it's like you're having a tournament where there's still good matches because you have like Shingo and Will Osprey and. Okada, you know, and Zack Sabre Jr., and they're all going to have very fun matches and very good matches, but, I mean, this isn't like uh, 10 years ago where you're having, like, each match is, like, a super great blowout match. It, it's not, or you're having, like, two or three of those matches in a row. You're, you're not going to have that here. You're going to have, like, maybe one really good match and one really excellent match yeah. and on every other show, and, and that's still cool but it's it's clear that new japan's roster right now is kind of stale kind of not there and uh, you know with the crowd crowd still silent i mean it's it's not like the most engaging product to watch right now and that doesn't mean that's bad but it's also not it doesn't feel hot at all no like i remember um coming off of the back of the best of the super juniors um which i thought was a really solid tournament and was really exciting because of the um kind of infusion of, of a bunch of new talent whether it's uh uh alex zane or ace austin um you know there was just a bunch of new names in that kind of revitalized that tournament and it sort of revitalized uh new japan in a lot of ways and you know we were all kind of hoping and thinking that with the G1, we were going to get a bunch of people from AEW. And look, circumstances happened as they did, and it just meant that we weren't going to get those names. Yeah. So, you know, like not much can be done about that. But certainly, still with the lack of crowd participation and uh, just, you know, just a bunch of matches that have been there and have been fine. And I, I think part of the issue is that, you know, like eight or nine years ago, Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi, hey, that is a match that I want to see. That is a match that, like, for me, is like, okay, this is going to be one of the matches of the year. But as as exceptional as those two wrestlers are, and Tetsuya Naito is one of my favorite wrestlers of the last 10 years, yeah. and Tanahashi is got here at this time. But I've seen that match. It's, Excuse me. I've, I've seen that seen match at Wrestle match Kingdom, so for crying out loud. Yeah. You know? I can only see a match so much, and having the same effect on you as you watched it the first two or three times yeah um so that's i think that is part of the problem just in terms of this roster yeah th th um, there's stuff at the yeah. top you know there's naito who's banged up tanahashi's banged up okada's banged up it, it's kind of time to where you need to look at like okay let's start bringing up people who can i don't want to say replace them but I mean, it's kind of time where you need to look at the next wave of people and go, okay, it's time to elevate you. And you know, Jay White's one of the one of the ones that they've elevated. And I think he's doing great, but I think there needs to be more. There, and, there's absolutely going to have to you be know, more. I, I hope I hope it's not like evil, or, or you know, these other guys that they're kind of high on. Yeah, no, I mean, you you can see aspects of that, like with Osprey, with Great Okan. Um, yeah, Great Okan. Pro Great Okan is one that they they're high on. And yeah, you know, he's yeah. he's uh, oh no, he likes to have fun. 
I've seen that. He certainly does. I, I, uh, um, I don't know what. I, he, he's he's heroic. I mean, he saved that that girl. I certainly that. was. When they want to do that baby face, he seems like a uh, great guy. Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know about him as a worker. It kind of is. Jury's out. Hmm. I I think maybe the the biggest. Uh, indictment of this tournament is that my favorite part of this tournament has been kenta trying to shill his book at any given opportunity <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, which has been great don't get me wrong but like when that kind of for me is is one of the highlights of the tournament i guess actually him and zack saber jr had a, a tremendous match where they just kind of slapped the shit yeah out i each like other. that match uh, that, I, which I i'm all for that's my type of match where you just beat each other up and i yeah yeah i like that match a lot that's one of my highlights from the tournament so far yeah, uh, that 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 um, that particular night because you had that and you had Tai Chi and Ishii um, and like uh, those two tend to have good chemistry. Um, and then night four, I think night four was probably the strongest night for me because I thought both Shingo and Yoshihashi uh, had a really really. I strong heard that outing. was a good match. It was really really strong. I think Dave Meltzer said it was like the best match for the tournament at that point. I mean, you could make the argument like, wow. you know, I, I thought Ishii and Jay White had a really strong outing as well. Not as strong as their one from, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Um, but those two, again, like have a really, really decent uh, chemistry. But yeah, you could make the argument Takagi and uh, and Yoshihashi or Kenshin and Zack Sabre Jr. have been the strongest matches of the tournament so far. Because past that, there has just not been a lot that I've been able to kind of get my teeth and, and sink my teeth into um which is a shame because again we're about <laughs> nine to ten uh nights into this tournament i guess actually my biggest question for you uh and that i've seen from like people that have been uh kind of like reviewing these these matches and these nights and these thought in this tournament is that the pacing of this tournament and the structure of these four blocks has kind of been a bit weird and actually thrown out the pacing because where before you would have you know all right, night one is block A, night two is block B, night three is block A, and you go back and forth and you alternate. It's kind of been all over the place and because of the structure of these four blocks. And you've got someone who may have wrestled like four matches and someone who's only wrestled one match. And it kind of feels a bit all over the place where, you know, someone might have a great match, but then they don't wrestle for like the next six or seven nights and all of that momentum is lost. Whereas, you know, in prior years, someone might have an excellent match, and then two nights later, they're having another excellent match, and that kind of momentum propels them, and it makes you know the overall tournament uh, feel way more exciting in a way that I kind of just feel like this tournament has been stifled because of that. Yeah, um, I don't know if I like the format. I mean, it's, it's always like, yeah, it's cool that you brought in more people, but I mean, like, yeah, they they brought in new people, but it's like. Like, I couldn't find anybody better than Bad Luck Folly. <laughs> they, they, they like him, but I've just heard terrible stuff about him this entire tour, and he always comes off as, like, I don't know. I don't think. I don't, I don't think he's good. Um, Yujiro Takahashi, I mean, like, I, I don't need to see that. And the formatting, it just feels like... The overall formatting just feels like it's a lot of padding. Uh, just putting in more tag matches, which... I don't. I don't really need to see the, the tag matches all the time. It's a very strict kind of just their formula. Where I remember when I first started watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, the entire card was full, full, filled with uh, G1 matches, 
And those always felt like hot shows, like the hottest shows of the year. And now it's like, yeah, this schedule that's spread out and there's only like so many matches a person has per week, which when when you look at it at one way, that does preserve talent from having uh, wrestling too many matches in the same time frame and, and, you know, you kind of spread it out and they're kind of less banged up as a result. But now you're watching shows that are kind of like, yeah, this is good. This is okay. But I mean, it's not great. And there, there's, I kind of feel like, well, when's the next person wrestling? I'm kind of lost, and yeah. you really don't have any idea because it's like, uh, you know, it's probably not for a few more days, or maybe even next week. Like, I don't think Tom Lawler had his first match until like a week into the tournament, which yeah. kind of yeah. feels weird. It's kind of, I think it's kind of too spread out. So, I, I, I kind of like that they experimented with the formula a little bit. Because, you know, it, it, it's always interesting to do new stuff, but I don't know. I'm kind of not into this format. Um, of the things that I've got left on the sheet, I guess the last thing is, uh, did you see any of Noah's Destination uh, where we had uh, Kato Kiyomiya Try it and drag, God bless him, Keiji Muto to something assembling. That, that's I thought pretty, was actually a, a fairly decent match. That's pretty much the only match I've heard that uh, Muto actually did the job. I mean, so, go for him. Technically, he did do the job, yeah. yes. Um, the, the <laughs> I'm visual sure there's a lot of, of uh, qualifiers. The, the visual aspect of him uh, giving up which was just kind of him looking bored on the mat and then going to the ref, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I give up now. Um, it was not the kind of powerful statement passing of the torch moment that you would hope after two fucking years of whatever this story has been. Uh, it, it certainly didn't quite land um, in a way that people may have been hoping for. Or I don't know if anyone ever kind of thought that like we'd even get to this fucking point at, at this moment in time. But it has to be said, like, Kiyomiya, um, if you ever had any doubts about him as, like, some kind of well, if, any doubts about him as a world-class worker, um, or, you know, the ability to be the ace of this promotion, you know, he, he wrestled, you know, as cliched as it could possibly be, he wrestled like he was trying to, you know, have a four-star match with a broomstick, and in some ways a broomstick would have been more mobile than Keiji Muto. But he fucking put everything into this. And the the frustrating thing about it coming out of this match and going into it as well is that, you know, the story they ended up going with is, is this idea of Keiji Muto, uh, sorry, of Kiyomiya. He needs to, like, become Muto to defeat Muto. And uh, he's going to con- continue doing a lot of, like, Muto's mannerisms and his color scheme and his moves. And it's just like... All you're doing is just putting Muto over, going more, going forward. And, you know, everything that is Kiyomiya is being stripped away. And I just, I just, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it at all. And, uh, you know, just from beginning to end, um, I don't know if there ever was, like, a kind of definitive plan they had for how this story would go. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not the way I would have done it. I'll say that much. Yeah. It's, the story of Noah seems to me that, you know, there's a lot of good workers there and a lot of 
over characters, but it's like the... They seem interested in pushing the older people, and the older people are kind of iffy about when they want to do jobs, and as a result, it kind of drags promotion down a little bit. <laughs> They're not iffy about when they want to do yeah, jobs. They just don't do jobs. <laughs> I'm, I'm being nice about it. But yeah. yeah. That's what I but, hear. Uh, I... I did enjoy the match, uh, maybe just for like completely um, like voyeuristic reasons, but I found that match was more palatable to uh, consume than uh, Ric Flair. Like Muto, <laughs> I mean, for all of his faults, is still more fucking mobile than I, Ric Flair. I have to think he's still mobile than Ric Flair. Like, yeah, it's not by much. We're on a curve, but it's a low bar. Yeah. Uh, and then the final thing to, to mention as well is Satoshi Kojima. Um, in his first defense, lost the GHC heavyweight title to Keno um, in a really strong match. Surprising result. Uh, I didn't think that Keno would be GHC heavyweight champion this year. He always has kind of felt like the the best uh, connection or, or a comparison to make is if you think of Nak um, Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura in New Japan where he kind of felt like the 1B to Tanahashi's 1A. Um, Keno always kind of felt like that, but not to anyone in particular, but he always felt like the 1B of the promotion and that, um, like, the the uh, global... What the hell was their secondary title called? The the national title? The global title? I can't even remember what it's called, but whatever, the secondary title. No, I think it's the national title. I'm not sure... I think so, yeah. And that always kind of seemed to be like where he'd be destined to be. Um, now, he has been heavyweight champion before, but that was certainly during like a real kind of low point. Um, so I'm pleasantly surprised to see the belt back on him because I think he's one of the stronger workers in the company. Um, but just, yeah, kind of surprising. But maybe they feel like they can do Kojima and Muto without the belt, which, you know, I'm not going to argue with. I don't want to see Muto anywhere near the fucking main, main no. event. No, I, um, I think it's time. Um, he only has like yeah. five matches left, right? Or four? Or, I don't know. Something like that, yes. Um, and the sooner we get through them, the better. But that is it for the wrap-up in terms of uh, everything this month. But as always, we do need to end uh, with our three little kind of tidbits at the end here. So, Brian, starting off, who is your wrestler for the month of July 2022? I like my star rating <laughs> It's always it's always tough to pick these. I, I always I know that I have to think about them, but when the time comes, it's like, who do I pick? I, I mean, there, there's so many I could pick. I think I picked John Moxley last month. So I, I don't know. Well, Osprey had a good month. You know, Wheeler Yuta and, and Wheeler Yuta had a good month. Diana Garcia had a good month. I don't know. I, I you know I think th I think. I will end up going with a tag team and I'll go with FTR because I think they had a hell of a match at Death War of Dishonor. Uh, Dax Harwood cut a really good promo before. Uh, the build-up to that was great. And I think they are a red-hot tag team right now. And, you know, just listen to those ovations when they come out. And I really hope that it's them and, and Swerve and uh, Keith Lee at All Out. I really hope that that's... The direction. I am. Um, that's a solid shout, by the way. Uh, no complaints from me there. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Saya Kamitani um, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. 
just like having a really strong year in general. Um, like she's had a bunch of decent matches this year so far, um, while holding the white belt of um, of stardom. So yep, that is uh, that is my pick for July. Uh, now your match of July 2022. Well, looking at my list, uh, the highest one I have is. Briscoe's and FCR, which I gave four and three quarters to, and I can't think of anything else this month that was better. There are a lot of great matches, but uh, FCR and the Briscoes have terrific chemistry, and they wrestled for 45 minutes, and it didn't feel like it. And that's always, that's that's pretty hard to do. So yep. uh, I think it, I, I think it's that that's the match uh, of the month. Absolutely, it's not as good as the first match. But it's a really, really good match. Yeah, I have a, I have a lot of four and four and a quarter star matches this month. Um, but, you know, still have a lot of them, so still a good month. But yeah. certainly when I look at my highest rated match of the month, it is the aforementioned Starlight Kid, Seiya Kamitani from Kings of Midsummer that took place on the 9th of July uh, for the Wondrous Stardom title. And um, definitely one that I would recommend people go out of the way to check out. And uh, and I guess we end with Brian. Who? What is your promotion of July? What was your favorite promotion that you watched last month? Uh, it has to be AEW. Yeah. I think I picked them many months because I mean, when you look at it, the two biggest companies in the world are AEW and WWE. And WWE finished off the month okay, but they're, they're just okay. Um. I'm more interested in seeing their direction going forward more than what they did last month. And uh, AEW, still tremendous matches every week. A lot of great matches every week. Not every week is... Not every Dynamite is perfect, but a lot of matches are great. Uh, And there's New Japan, and they're kind of... You know... They're doing okay, but not like AEW, where they're just consistently great. Matches every week, so it's AEW. All right. Well, I uh, I'm gonna go with Stardom, uh, based off of again the Kings of Midsummer uh, event at the start of the month, and the fact that just yeah they're they're firing on all cylinders in regards to the five star Grand Prix. If there uh, were if really there excited. was more time in the month, I would watch Stardom, but there's just too much other stuff. <laughs> I would be I watching know, Stardom I... and Noah, but I mean sometimes it's like. I'm either doing uh, clips off of Wrestling Observer Radio, or I just don't want to watch wrestling for a few hours. Yeah. At, you know, when I'm watching other stuff, it, it's it's a lot. A lot of it's just too much. Like like last start yeah. match I watched was a uh, Siri and uh, I don't know. I forget how to pronounce her last name. Uh, the 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 really big match that everybody was talking about. That was a really good match. Uh Possibly it was Siri Hayashita. Hayashita, yeah. Yeah, that's the last one. I'm guessing that's where Siri beat her for the title, maybe. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Look, I I would certainly kind of um, recommend finding a way to uh, fit at least a little bit of stardom into into your diet, but I do understand there is a... uh, an unhealthy amount of wrestling out there to try and consume, so I do do understand the plight. Um, But that is it. That is it for another month of the wrap up. Uh, as always, thank you very much for anyone that is uh, listening or even potentially watching uh, this podcast. 
Uh, as always, you can find me at Sleeping Project. You can find Brian at uh, BR26. BR26. Yes, yes. BR, BR26. For a minute, I was going to say 29, and I have no idea why, because <laughs> it's never been that. Um, as always, you can find us both on Twitter. By all means, give us a, a, a shout if you want to... Uh, you know, talk to us about any wrestling that you've been watching, what you think is good, if you agree or disagree with any of our takes, um, because, you know, no one has ever gone through a wrestling discourse and, and agreed or disagreed with anyone else. It's never happened before. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, by the time we get to the end of next month, maybe, maybe things will have calmed down a little bit, and maybe you could catch up on some stardom, but um, probably won't be the case, and I'm sure there'll have been a thousand other things that have happened in that time. Uh, wrestling is crazy right now, and I think we're going to see a lot more fallout over the Vince McMahon stuff over the next month. I yeah, the qu- so. biggest question now is what's going to happen with WWE. Uh, that's the biggest question going into next month. And yeah. uh, it'll be in terms of if they like, in terms of the structure of the company, uh, or everything in terms of structure, right. in terms of what plays are going to be, what power moves are going to be played, how creative is going to end up turning out. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. This is the biggest. This is the biggest uh, change in pro wrestling since WCW closed. Yeah. Even that. Even that kind of pales in comparison to Vince McMahon being gone. Well, I can only hope that um, whatever comes out in the next few weeks doesn't completely overwhelm you <laughs> with work. I know. But uh, I feel like that might be the case. Yeah. I'm going to well, be busy. I don't know when I'm going to free boy. time for anything. It's paying it to you. <laughs> my one day off. Uh, oh. Well, hey, um, I just, just you know, find time, play some Live Alive, enjoy well, the month. I'm going to try. That, I think the plan now for us today is playing that, so let's see if that happens. I've been watching, and there's been, like thunderstorms coming, so I'm like, oh, great. you got Tony Storm and Thunder Rosa coming towards you? That's, yeah. that's the worst thing in the world. Oh. I, <laughs> I, I, I like that team that team's fun we'll leave it there for another month uh, thank you very much for, for listening as always and uh, yeah we'll see you at the end of August or the start of September for another installment of the Grap Up peace <laughs>